I want to start with a psalm uh, this morning to get us thinking about this topic, and so I'm turning to Psalm 19. Uh, psalm 19. It's a it's actually uh, one of the more well-known psalms. Um, we sang it uh, in my youth group when I was growing up um, many millennia ago. And uh, it's, it's a wonderful psalm. So let's, let's look at this if you've got a Bible. If you don't, just listen. Um, psalm 19. The heavens, the heavens are telling the glory of God, and the firmament proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night declares knowledge. There's no speech nor are their words. Their voice is not heard, and yet their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In the heavens he has set a tent for the sun which comes out like a bridegroom from the wedding canopy and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them and nothing is hid from its heat. And then a little switch here. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The decrees of the Lord are sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is clear, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them there is great reward. But who can detect their errors? Clear me from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from the insolent. Do not let them have dominion over me. And then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. The prayer that we started with. Um, I'm going to come back to this psalm in just a moment. uh, Because it deals with an issue that we've got to deal with this morning. And uh, it has to do, first of all, with this idea of who is God and how can I know there's a God. Um, philosophers have invented uh, many arguments for this. You've heard some of them. In fact, I think one of my colleagues, Steve Wilkins, shared with you at least a cosmological argument. Um, how did we get here? Uh, there has to have been a first cause. That's the cosmological argument. There has to be a cause for there to be anything that exists. And so the idea was that there's a first mover, a first cause, and that brought into being what we have today. And that's the cosmological argument. And then they invented another argument, the teleological argument. And um, that's just saying that there's design in the universe. Uh, There's this incredible... you know, order in the universe that looks uh, like if you were walking along the beach and you saw a rock, you would not say to yourself, hmm, how did this get here? There must be a rock maker. You wouldn't say that. But if you saw a watch on the beach, you might say, how did this get here? Because these don't just wash up. There must be somebody who makes watches. There must be a watchmaker, a design, because it's designed. It looks nicely ordered. And so that's the idea of the teleological argument. If there's order in the universe, there must be a designer, an orderer. And then there's a moral argument. The moral argument uh, says, well, we all have oughts and ought-nots. We don't always agree on the oughts and ought-nots. If you've traveled around the world, you know that people have different uh, kind of moral theories and so forth. But everybody seems to have a view of we ought to do this, we ought not do that. And the question is, how did we get this sense of (coughs) oughtness? How did we get this sense of a a moral law? Um, And um, so there's... um, there's an issue there. I mean, somebody must have given us this, some, inbred in us some sort of moral consciousness. 
And then there's uh, this fancy one, the ontological argument. Uh, it even is, it sounds like its name, complicated and, and yet so simple. So, it, um, and uh, we could have a whole hour on this, but we won't because then I'll lose you all, you'll go to sleep or leave. Anyway, um, it's the idea that um, I've got this idea of God. I've got this idea of a perfect being. Not just a perfect being, but um, a perfect being who exists. Because if your idea of a perfect being doesn't include existence, then I'm going to do one better on you, right? I got a perfect being who exists. That's even better than one who doesn't exist. So if there's this idea of a perfect being who exists, the, uh, a being greater than which nothing can be conceived, then there must be a reason for that idea in my head. So I've, uh, I, I must have a cause for that, per that idea of a perfect being. That perfect being must exist. And it's an interesting argument that's been uh, debated and redebated, and so in fact you can find these arguments in the Bible to some extent like like the Psalm 19 that's basically the cosmological argument right the heavens declare the glory of God you look at the creation there must be a God there must be somebody who put this into existence and uh, and Paul does that in Romans 1 right Romans 1 Paul says from the creation we know there's a creator right by the way, people usually stop there. Don't stop there. Keep going. Paul doesn't stop there. He says, yeah, and we take that knowledge and pervert it, right? And then we worship the creature, not the creator. So he says, yeah, we know there's a cre creator from the creation, but uh, we, we kind of mess with that knowledge. But, but these arguments you can find, Romans uh, 2, Paul uses the moral argument. There must be, uh, he says, you who judge, you already know. Uh, some morality because you're using your sense of morality to judge others and he says be careful because that's going to come back on you it's a boomerang you're going to be judged by the same thing so so these arguments are in the bible but the problem with them is that philosophically is that um, they've all been argued against the philosophers have arguments against them uh, for instance uh, David Hume in the 18th century he looks at the teleological argument that design argument and he says, hmm, design in the world. And the, yeah, okay, there's some design there. But there's also, it looks like, a lot of mess-ups. Like, you know, hurricanes, tornadoes, uh, droughts, uh, fires that mess with people's lives. He says, boy, if this was designed by a great God who's a designer, he didn't do a great job. Or, or maybe he was messing with us and he's just putting some stuff in there, you know, saying, I'm not going to, uh, I'm, I'm going to mess you guys up once in a while or angry with us or something like that. So, so these arguments aren't going aren't to get us that far. In fact, what I want to suggest to you this morning is if you look at Psalm 19, the first six verses of Psalm 19 just uses the word God, right? In fact, it only uses it once, but it's talking about God. And in the Hebrew, that's El, E-L, El. It's just a generic name for God. Other pagan nations at this time used the same word, God, El, okay? And he says this God is known from the heavens. But then look at this. Look at verse 7. He starts using the word Lord, and he uses it over and over again. Lord, Lord, Lord. And he switched topics. He's not talking about creation. He's talking about the law. And here's the difference. When, when the psalmist is talking about the creation, he uses this generic name, God. It's generic. It's not specific. It's kind of like, um, like a zip code, okay? It doesn't give you the street address. 
all right? I, I, when I came here, I used a GPS this morning uh, because that's how I get to places. I am directionally challenged, all right? <laughs> My wife will tell you that. She can go to the same place once and she knows how to get there forever. I can go to the same place four or five times and I still don't know how to get there. So I, I have another woman in my car. Uh, <laughs> in fact, when my wife's in the car, they sometimes have an argument. And uh, I tell people I have two women now telling me where to go. Um, but <laughs> it's true. <laughs> and when they have an argument, I'm really confused. So do I, do I go with her or do I go with my wife? I don't know. So anyway, but... Um, this GPS is, if I had just put in it this morning, uh, Garden Grove, I probably would never have been here. John would be upset. He'd have to come up with a sermon on the top of his head, and, and, and it would be terrible, right? For, for, well, maybe it'd be better for you. I don't know. But, uh, but the, just getting the general uh, zip code wouldn't get me here. So I plugged in the exact address, and that's what's going on in this psalm. The first part of the psalm is just the generic general zip code address, Garden Grove. But if you want to know who this God is, you've got to, you've, you've got to get a more specific address. And notice that the, this word Lord, this word Lord actually comes, derives from, it's our English word, it derives from uh, as a transliteration and then a translation of Yahweh. And God gave the name Yahweh in Exodus 3 when God called Moses and God said, Moses, I want you to go tell the people what I want you to tell them. And he said, well, I know your name is, I know you as El, just God. What is your name? Who should I say sent me? And he said, tell him Yahweh, I am that I am sent, sent you. That's God's name, you see. In other words, uh, now Moses know God, knows God personally. He knows God's name. He's got the address, the exact address. And that's really important because the God of the philosophers will get you in the zip code area, but you won't know who this God is. We need to know who this God is, and that's my, that's my concern. It's the concern in Scripture. For instance, um, by the way, this God is known in Scripture through history, not through arguments, but through history. This is a whole uh, narrative. This is a whole story from Genesis to, as the third grade girl called it, revolution, okay? Uh, from Genesis to Revelation, this is one story, one history in which God becomes known more clearly. In fact, uh, I love the way Luke's gospel starts. You know, Luke starts this way. He says, he's a, he's a doctor and a historian. He says, since many have undertaken to set down an orderly account of the events that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed on to us by those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and servants of the word, I too decided after investigation, investigating everything carefully from the very first to write an orderly account for you. He's writing the history of this Jesus. And, and then First uh, John, in John's, gospel, in John's uh, letter, John says, we declare to you what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we looked at, what we touched with our hands concerning the word of life. And you remember back in John's gospel at the beginning, he says, the word was with God, the word was God, and then the word came and dwelled among us in the flesh. And the word knew the heart of the Father and made the heart of the Father known to us. So if you want to know who God is, you need to look at Jesus Christ. You need to know the God who entered into our history and said, I don't want you just to know L, 
God. I want you to know my name. I want you to know me. And so that's what I'm most concerned. And the historical evidence then is what we rely upon the most as Christians. We have very reliable Gospels. They are very reliable. The more you study the background of the Gospels, how they were written, uh, study the Gospels themselves, you realize these are very good, reliable, historical texts that tell us about this Jesus who walked on this earth. And, and with these reliable witnesses who, by the way, many of whom were martyred, they died for what they witnessed. These reliable witnesses then give us absolute certainty about Jesus and God? No, not absolute certainty, but reliable certainty. Reliable certainty. You have to have some faith, right? You have to have some faith. I was saying in the first service that the opposite of faith is not doubt because the only people who doubt are people who believe. If you don't believe anything, you won't doubt anything. <laughs> the opposite of faith is knowledge because once you know something, you no longer need to believe it. You know it. So we don't have this absolute certainty, but we do have good, reliable texts that will tell us. Now, my concern about this is because we live in a very pluralist, religiously pluralistic culture. Many people think they know who God is and how God is known, but we've got a lot of different ideas about God. And um, I mentioned in the first service that I was going to share something provocatively, and I didn't get crucified, John, so I guess I'll do it again. Not yet. Uh, not yet. Yeah, I know. The, I love this uh, thing here, but, um, you know, the cross, this, this is really artistic. I love it. And uh, I'm just worried about this, this spike there, so don't. Um, so anyway, just be, just be, I mean, Jesus uh, didn't get crucified for going around saying what everybody wanted to hear, right? So, um, so here it goes. And if it offends you, um, deal with it. Anyway, uh, so I love baseball. I love baseball. I was, um, and I got, I got uh, to go to the playoff game with the Angels, uh, not last year, of course, but the year before. And uh, a, friend of, a friend of mine at church uh, gets these four seats, and so he invited to the playoff game uh, three of us who were on pastoral staff at the church that I'm part of. Uh, I'm part-time staff and then two of the uh, full-time associate pastors and he went with us. So we're sitting in uh, seats two and two, you know, two and two behind two. And um, great game, great game. And you know, since 9-11, uh, a lot of times playoff games, World Series, they'll, they'll sing um, um, God Bless America in the seventh inning. So everybody stands and, and a strange thing happens. They do what they do for the National Anthem. They take hats off or put their hands on their hearts, which um, I wondered about because um, usually when we sing praise songs, we don't do that, right? So um, it's for the American allegiance. Not so I asked, I asked, turned around, asked my colleague behind me. I said, why, why do people take off their hats and put over their hearts for this song? And the guy who was next to the, my, the associate pastor next to me, the guy next to him heard me and leaned over and said, because it's patriotic. And I said, well, I have to understand what I said now, next. I said, well, it's against my religion. And I said that because I, I'm really worried about everybody using God's name in vain at, in, in the Angel Stadium. The, the commandment, thou shall not take the Lord's name in vain, doesn't mean don't swear. What it means is, don't treat God's name as if it were empty, as if it had no reality behind it. That's what the word vain means. Don't treat it as empty. Don't use the name God and then treat it as if it had some other reality or no reality behind it. So all these people I'm worried about, you know? So 
Well, this guy yells back, well, I don't believe in God either. <laughs> and then keeps singing, right? It's a prayer. It's a prayer. God bless America. What is he doing? Nothing. He's saying, he's saying a prayer to a God he doesn't believe exists, and therefore that God can't do anything. And so he's not asking anybody to do anything, right? Well, how patriotic is that? So my point is, <laughs> right? Am I right? So my, my colleagues were getting a little um, worried, um, especially, especially when the guy who had had a couple of beers already was, uh, almost hit me. Anyway, um, so <laughs> but this is the point. We live in a culture where the, the, the word or the name God is, again, not even the zip code sometimes. And we've got to focus as Christians on who this God is. This God has made himself known as Jesus Christ. Um, and so uh, this, is, this is my concern. We, we, the, so what do the arguments do for us? What does the cosmological and the teleological argument do? Well, I think it has a purpose. I, think, I don't think it answers the question, like Jesus asked Peter, who do people say that I am? I don't think it answers the questions. I think it asks the question. I think they're good arguments for this reason. They get people to wonder, okay, how, how did this cosmos get here? Why is there some design in it? In fact, if you're into math and you study chaos or, or, or fractals, chaos theory or fractals, we know now that the more you back up from what looks like chaos, the more order you see. And so how did that get here? I, so I think these are good arguments for at least getting people to ask the questions. And you can help them ask those questions and say, well, what do you think? What, what, is the, what is our purpose in life? And how did this world get here? But then we've got to take them further and then take them into Jesus Christ. It's interesting to me that um, uh, one of the, um, um, uh, th that in Colossians 1, 15 to 20, which is one of my favorite passages, it, it, Paul says that, that Jesus Christ is the very icon of God, the very image of God. In him, the fullness of deity dwells. And he says, everything was made by him and nothing was made that was not made through Jesus Christ and for Jesus Christ. Did you ever think of that? Not only is the Father and the Spirit involved in creation, but the Son of God is involved in creation. Jesus Christ is the creator. So you want to know who created this cosmos? Get to know Jesus. You want to know who God is? Read the Gospels. That's how we know who this God is, and that's how we come to know that there is a God, I think, in the most, in the most significant way. Um, one more point about this. I, it's always interesting to me. People say, well, what about Acts 17, you know, where Paul goes into Athens and he uses their poets and their philosophers to make the case for, for Christianity? So he, he doesn't use Scripture in that case. This is the only time in Acts where Paul preaches that we know of and doesn't use Scripture, which would have been the Old Testament at this time. And so he uses philosophy, uses poet, the poets who were the philosophers of the, of the Greeks. It's interesting to me that you never hear about a church in Athens. Paul doesn't give an altar call. We're told that only a few, a very few believed. Unlike all the other places he went to, Ephesus, Thessalonica, Colossae, all of those other places to which he wrote or which he went to and preached where he used Scripture and held up the name Jesus Christ from Scripture and you have churches being established there. So um, we need to keep that in mind. The God of the philosophers is it's, it's, it's a good start maybe, but it's, it's not enough. 
it won't get us to the exact address. And I wouldn't have gotten here today if I didn't have the exact address. So that's how we get to know who this God is in Jesus Christ. Um, if you want to take some questions, John, is this a good time to yeah. do something like that? So, and I noticed that you left the table here because last time it came unglued. <laughs> we didn't come unglued, but it did, right? So, uh, yeah, we. Uh, I, I, uh, I'm just too strong for my own good, and <laughs> the table fell apart. And it did. Yes. I think I just leaned on it too much. Um, yeah. So I, I want to start with a question that we've asked all, all, all the professors um, each week. Um, because you spend, your job is to think lofty thoughts and to, to be around people who think lofty thoughts. And when I was going through You'd be the, surprised. Well, I know. <laughs> when I was going through the theology department to find all your guys' offices, there was kind of a, I, I kind of was getting, it was a little creeped out. Like, man, the, all these guys talk about God. I almost wanted to just <laughs> stay in the parking lot. But um, how, do you, how do you ground yourself Again, you've been talking about this relationship with Jesus. How do you keep keep that real yeah. uh, for you when you're around all these books and all these thinkers and all this this kind of stuff? Yeah, and and there's lots of books. Yeah. So while you're answering that, I'm going to move this podium so they can go see. right ahead. Go right ahead. Um, and um, one of the ways that I do that is um, a daily practice. In the morning, I I have. Um, what, well, some people call it devotions, other people call it a daily office and so forth. And I always go to the Psalms first. Um, that's, uh, I always read um, a Psalm or two. Uh, that was the prayer book and the worship book for Israel. And I start there. Um, sometimes that gives me words to pray that I don't have myself. Um, and then and then spend time in, in Scripture uh, recently. Um, the, the lectionary, the schedule has uh, put me in, in Revelation, which is uh, fun to read again. And, um, and then the other thing is the church. Uh, to stay grounded, I have to be part of the church of Jesus Christ. And uh, I was saying the first uh, hour that uh, my wife and I have both always been involved in the church. Um, and we see our marriage as, um, as being a team for the kingdom of God. Uh, the, the, the most important reason why we got married uh, wasn't because she really looks good, because she does. But anyway... Uh, <laughs> But she hates me to say that, but she's not here, and it's I true, and, and it's, yeah, it's, yeah. I understand. <laughs> but, um, but it's because we decided that we could serve the kingdom better together than separate, and, um, and so we do that within the church because the church is so important. Um, in fact, I want to share with them what, what I was sharing the first hour. In no. First, no, you can't do it. <laughs> I'm going to. I'm going to listen okay. to it, so. You have to come both hours, so. Uh, 1 Corinthians 3, Paul says, um, well, this is one reason why heady, lofty thoughts are helpful. Knowing the Greek is helpful here. Um, either that or you have to have a southern translation of the Bible because it says in the Greek, don't all y'all know, it's a plural you, don't all y'all know that all y'all are one singular temple of the Holy Spirit and that the Holy Spirit dwells in this singular temple, in this case called Living Springs. And if anyone destroys this temple, God will take that person out of the picture. Because Paul was writing to a church that had division. By the way, uh, you don't want to be like the New Testament church, all right? It was dysfunctional. <laughs> Every, the reason the letters were written to the churches was because they were dysfunctional, okay? Um, but that's the church you get, right? And so Paul says, you, you all make up one temple. Because, and it's so important because the Holy Spirit works through the church of Jesus Christ. 
and it works to grow us up into, into the faith. And so that's why I need to be in the church because the Holy Spirit works through the church and, uh, and I need to be there. And then we, as church, witness to the culture. Yeah, yeah. That, That's so cool uh, because every single uh, professor that's been here talking mm-hmm. has said those same two things. Daily quiet time, involvement in the kingdom. Mm-hmm. And not just necessarily church, but the kingdom of God. Right, so, and, and we're always the church, even if we're not a yeah, building, yeah, right? Exactly. Still the, you, you're going to do subversive activity all week in places of work and neighborhoods and everything. Yeah, so, yeah. subversive Then you come activity. back and share what happens. That's cool. Yeah. You, you had mentioned first service, you're a, a Presbyterian, and, and, yeah, and we're, we're, we're Armenian. So uh, <laughs> and so somebody asked this, asked this uh, question, so I thought it would be great. You know, we can wrestle about it or whatever. Um, uh, okay, so it's a long question, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to take... Uh, kind of boil it down sure. so we have this god that we can get to know and this god is omniscient and all-powerful and he creates this world in which he knew there would be people who would not know him and yet he did it anyway and so we have this free will and but is it really free because i mean in the personhood of jesus christ how do we account for this idea that Hey, not everyone's going to make it, maybe. Mm-hmm. That's a uh, great question. I, I, just, I was assigned the topic predestination and free will for a Wednesday night Bible study at our church a few weeks wow. ago. And, yeah. That was a Wednesday night Bible study? Yeah. Okay. yeah. Well. <laughs> and they text can questions, just stay too. There. Yeah. Just so uh, we, let me just, uh, a couple of things real quick. Um, one <coughs> is, um, just, just to put things in, in a proper framework, um, our idea of freedom is uh, is uh, in America is not the same idea as freedom in here. All right, Jesus said in John eight thirty one and thirty two, if you abide in my words, then you are my disciple, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And uh, so, notice the progression. First, you have to walk in the words of Jesus. You have to obey Him. Then you will know the truth experientially, and then you will be free. Freedom comes from walking in the words of Jesus, obeying God. We think, as Americans, that freedom means freedom of choice to do whatever I want as long as it doesn't hurt somebody else. So Jesus would have said, in this case, he would have said it this way. You are free. Now you can choose to walk in my words. And then you're my disciple. He said, only as you stay within the boy markers of my words will you remain free to navigate through life. So we've got to get that first. Um, So God chooses us to make us free, not because we are free. And so even the Arminians and the Calvinists both believe that we are born not (coughs) free because we are born slaves to sin. Uh, Nobody taught me to sin. I just picked it up on my own, okay? (laughs) All right? I'm pretty sure I was in the nursery taking some kids' toys, and they said, no, we need to teach you to share your toys, all right? And so... um, so we just, like born athletes, we're born sinners, okay? And so John Wesley, the Arminian, and John Calvin, the Calvinist, uh, um, they both said we're born that way. Calvin said God gives his grace to turn toward him to overcome that sin, uh, you know, that sinful needle on the compass um, to just a few. And I think probably in this case, Wesley was, was more right in the sense that, that we need God's, everybody needs God's grace. <laughs> Sorry, I've, that's I okay. Just, no, that's okay. So checking over there. So, but there's some other things that he got wrong. But anyway, like per- <laughs> perfectionism, I don't buy into that. So I don't anyways. either. Oh, good. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
<laughs> oh, talking, talking comes together. So, um, but, but my point is, is that, is that all throughout the history of the church, it's, it's, it's uh, way, back, way back with Augustine, you know, way back in the 5th in the century, they said, uh, we all need grace to be able to choose because the grace overcomes the sinful inclination that we have not to choose God. So, um, now what about those who never hear the gospel? And then, then let's just include babies who, who die. Um, I mean, the Bible doesn't say that, that they're saved. It doesn't. I, I, would, I would be presumptuous today if I told you that. Um, and, uh, and let's talk about people who have uh, mental um, um, facilities in, hampered severely so that they can't understand the gospel. Um, so here's my answer to that, and, and this is all I can do because I don't think Scripture tells us definitively all that, is that when we find out what God's answer is, we will be pleased. Yeah, I mean, God is just and merciful. God's the umpire, right? And I'm so thankful I'm not the judge. Uh, <laughs> I'm just a witness, and we talked about this. Actually, you brought this up last hour. Uh, we're just witnesses. Yeah. And I got to be the best witness I can. <coughs> and I think sometimes Christians act like the judge. Mm. And we got to stop that. We're not yeah. the judge. We're just the witness, okay? And then I've seen enough ball games and bad calls that I know we're not good umpires. So let's yeah. let God be the umpire. Yeah, you know, get, getting back to the idea of the witness, cause, um, and, and then we'll get in this next question, which interestingly came up first service, and I thought it was out of left field, and now it comes up again. So um, Maybe you got a lot of left fielders. Yeah, yeah. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Wow. We need to get wow. some right fielders, you know. They have yeah. to have the strongest arms. So. Yeah, let me just write this down. Never <laughs> have done this. Uh, okay. Uh, no, um, but uh, it, it's true. I mean, and, and you touched on this a little bit when you, were, when you were talking, is that oftentimes we feel like to be a witness, we're, we're arguing a case. But even in a court of law, the witness doesn't argue the case. The right. witness just says, this is what I see. Mm-hmm. This is what I heard. This is my account. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and what it seemed like you were touching on is, yes, that's, that's, it. that's what you should walk away yeah. with. Not necessarily, um, here are my, you know, the witness takes the stand and says, what do you see? Well, here's the five reasons why I think he's guilty. Mm-hmm. It's no those are inadmissible. These, you know, I want to hear your account. And, and you seem to be saying the same thing about these arguments are, are fine. They raise good questions, mm-hmm. but it's going to be our true experience, what we've seen and what we've heard that's right. with Jesus. That's gonna you can, you can always argue against a philosophical argument, mm. but you can't argue against somebody's experience yeah. of Jesus Christ. Talk about your friend, um, or my your, cousin? Your, your cousin, yeah, yeah, that you're writing with. Yeah, I, when, when I was in college, um, I, I was a philosophy major, and uh, so I knew all these arguments. And my cousin, <coughs> who uh, was reared in, an, in a home where religion was not discussed because her father had issues, um, she always had, she and her sister always talked to me about religion, uh, religious questions. So while I'm in college, she's writing me, she's in Boston at that time writing me about God, and I'm writing the arguments to try to convince her that God exists and that Christianity is true. And finally, she writes me and says, you know, I went to see a Roman Catholic priest, and he told me to read the Gospel of John, and I did, and Jesus came alive. Mm-hmm. And I thought, Akom, you're an idiot. Uh, you say you believe this, and you say that this word goes forth and does not come back empty. But you really don't believe it because you put more faith in your rational arguments than you did in the scriptures. 
And it, and it took this priest uh, to, 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 to share that with your cousin. So I think we need to just say, you know, look, this is the witness, and I declare to you that this witness is true because I have met this Jesus. And then um, it, people can say, I reject your witness, but they can't say it's not true. They can only say, I reject your account of it. So, and, I, um, and, then, and then we have to pray the Holy Spirit will work in their lives too. So. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's so, you know, I just keep going back to that verse over and over again. Or, or Paul, a you know, smart guy, mm-hmm. uh, was arguing in Athens, mm-hmm. so all the philosophical stuff. And he basically comes down and says, I'm, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because right. it is the power of God unto salvation. Oh, right. not, yeah. Yeah. not the gospel mixed yeah. with these different things. And, you know, now we understand this. So and in 1 Corinthians, he says, this doesn't even make sense mm-hmm. to people who are right, the, right, the Greeks. Yeah. Right. I mean, if you're going to tell me that the, that the source of your salvation is a convicted criminal who was crucified for a crime he did not commit. And that's the dunamis, the dynamite, that's the word, uh, the power of God into salvation. I say, you're crazy. You know, that's Mm -hmm. like saying a guy that we electrocuted um, for a crime he, we find out later he didn't commit, is the source of my salvation. Hmm. That's nuts. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But that's the truth. So, Yeah. 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 That's cool. It is cool. That's cool. Okay, let's get to uh, let's get to the controversial stuff because that's the fun. Oh, that's that's, fun, that's, yeah. the, that's why we're paying you. Okay. Um, <laughs> well, you're paying. Them. Well, I don't. I don't want to. Uh, uh, not 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 much. Um, we're, we're going, <laughs> the um, we're we're just a small church. Not, <laughs> okay. So uh, I'm not the, doing it for that uh, the, the, this came up for a service. The pledge of allegiance. Oh then, yeah. yeah. Um, because okay. We, we, here we say, um, you know, one nation under God. Yeah, yeah. Uh, h- how do you, what do you think about that? Yeah. How does that, how does that well, first of all, we got to know that, that that phrase was added in the 50s, right? Uh, I think it was 55 uh, as an anti-communist uh, part of the pledge. So it wasn't in the original pledge. But when it's put in there, um, it probably, you know, was put in there at a time when, um, when most of the folks who used the word God in the United States were thinking, <coughs> um, at least ostensibly Christian, uh, we're much more pluralistic today. Um, and, and I, don't get me wrong, I, I uh, hang out um, some Wednesdays on the, in the morning eating breakfast with a bunch of guys at our church, most of whom are World War II vets, and, and they start with a pledge to the Christian flag and then to the American flag, uh, the right order, by the way. We pledge allegiance <laughs> to Jesus Christ first. And, then, um, and, and, and so I don't have a problem with that. But my concern is, is again, uh, we have all, all these people using this name God and not necessarily knowing what it means. And one of my fears, too, is this, and I, I mentioned this earlier, was we sometimes take parts of the Bible out of context. We'll take a verse of the Bible, and we'll take it out of this story, and we'll put it in a different story. And when we do that, the verse means something different than it did originally, and you end up with a God made in the image of maybe a nation like the U.S. Um, and we've got to be very careful. You know, so, uh, so somebody has said, God created us in his image and we returned the favor. Uh, and, and God can end up looking um, maybe white or U.S. or, you know, we have to be very careful because the God is the God of all nations. Mm-hmm. In fact, we sang it today that one day all the nations will come and bring their glory to God. And I think a lot of us are going to be surprised, you know. I think we're going to be, it's going to be great, though. We're going to be sitting at this huge banquet table with Jesus' host. And probably the person next to you is going to wonder why you're there and how you got there. <laughs> and you're going to wonder the same thing. And, and then you're going to start sharing, and, and they'll say, well, you know, how did you get that idea of God? And, well, 
you know, my culture taught me that. Well, your culture was a little bit off, you know, and it got some of it right, but not all of it. So I think we have to be very careful when we knew, use that name God. And I really meant that, that um, when we take the name of God in vain, it means that we're taking the name of God the way it was never meant to be taken. Uh, it stands for something other than the God who identified himself to Israel and then to, um, through Jesus Christ to us. So if you want to know who God is, look at Jesus Christ, and that's the trademark. And um, in fact, I, 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 I talked to the guys, the, when we were going home from the Angels game, <laughs> there was a little bit of silence in the car, and... <laughs> I said to the guys, you almost got into a fight. Well, okay. with the uh, with the guy, um, not not my colleagues. They understood, but they also wondered, Akhom, why do you bring this stuff up at a baseball game? So, I'm a teacher. I, I you know, I, I like to ask questions. And um, I, I said to them this. Uh, I said, look, my wife's name is Treveka. They knew that. Um, it's an unusual name, named after a uh, Nazarene college in Nashville. And uh, and and as we said. Um, She's not, uh, if she was named UCLA, I would have a hard time. Um, <laughs> but anyway, or USC or anything like that, but uh, Treveca. So I said to them, look, if, if all that crowd was, was uh, using my wife's name in a way that was inappropriate, I would be very upset, really angry, because they were taking my wife's name in vain. They were using my wife's name and making it stand for something that it wasn't meant to stand for. Mm. And... I would be upset, and I think she would be. I think God is just as upset with us when we take the trademark and we mess with it, and it means something different than what he ever intended for it to mean. So how do I know what it means? i got to get into this story. I was so glad to see that, you know, you guys are having this class on going through the, the biblical story. Mm -hmm. And I've got to find my identity in this story with this God. In fact, uh, when you're baptized, you're baptized into this story. Mm -hmm. And that becomes your identity now. And, right? and so you are known as a child of this God and not just L, not just God, right? Mm -hmm. So I just love that. That's so cool. And so we can tell people. Um, and I mean, I'm hoping that this guy, I don't know <laughs> if it'll happen, but the guy I was talking to, I hope next time he sings God Bless America, which is a prayer, right, at a, at a ball game, maybe, just maybe, he'll say, you know, I got into a very short conversation with that guy one time. I wonder what I am doing using that word God. And that would be so cool. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. We're going to, um, we're going to move into a slower time of, of worship right now. I just want to thank you for being here. Well, thanks. And, um, yeah. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Uh, Real quick, I don't know, I don't mean to put you on the spot, but is there a book or something that maybe if someone says, man, I really want to start getting into this idea of uh, who God is, or um, maybe they enjoy the philosophical part, is there a, is there a, um, as Alex begins to play as a song, uh, <laughs> is, there a, is there a book uh, or something that you'd, you'd recommend? There, there's, uh, there's there, well, there's so many. Um, there's, there's a couple, uh, for, first of all, I think, we need to know what, what we're defending or what yes. we're witnessing to. And I teach apologetics at, at uh, APU, and <coughs> one of my assignments is to make sure my students know what they are witnessing to and defending is that they know what the Christianity is. So a recent book by N.T. Wright, that's W-R-I-G-H-T, Simply Christian, is a great book uh, just to tell us, remind us once again what this story is. Mm -hmm. And he does it in a way that all of us can understand it. Uh, N.T. Wright, uh, 
uh, Simply Christian. And then for philosophical arguments, you know, uh, there are a couple of books I'd recommend. An old one by Paul Little. It's still in print. Paul Little was a college uh, speaker uh, with University Christian Fellowship. Know uh, Why You Believe. Know Why You Believe. It's a very accessible book. In fact, I've used it with high school kids. And then, of course, more recently are books by Lee Strobel, you know. Um, and Lee Strobel was an atheist or at least an agnostic uh, journalist uh, from the greatest city, United States, Chicago. And, uh, and he, uh, he, he, he was converted and since then has written a couple of books that uh, help us to understand um, uh, the case for Christianity. Mm -hmm. So uh, that's, that's a good one for more of the philosophical arguments too. So.